right, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to Esports Connect by Rec Global. I'm Kevin Aki, your host, and uh, this week we're going to do things a little bit differently. So Taylor, unfortunately, is not with us. He is uh, at a family function, so we will catch Taylor next week. It, but this week, we're, we're not going to do the normal, you know, what's on our mind or any of our segments or anything like that. We're going to talk about a couple of broad issues in, in esports and gaming. And so um, we, we do have, uh, as always, with us uh, uh, Frank Field. Fields, uh, who's joining us and uh, Frank you said it's a long week I hope it's been a good one though man how are you doing how are things going great productive happy week uh, still very happy after ESL one so you know can't complain man it's been a great time to be an esports fan hey I agree and uh, I, I don't know if you saw but uh, Rogue uh, made the major so uh, we're pretty happy about that you know so. I did see that you know also it was crazy complexity also for the first time making a major since I don't know how long it just yeah, felt right? like really good complex everyone everyone but NRG is super this? happy right now oh my god I know I know and E United has a pretty good squad too so I I, I think they yeah. can make it again some point but uh, but yeah regardless uh, and also joining us this week is uh, Khalif Adams, who is uh, a host of Spawn on Me and uh, does sort of all things in the world of gaming that uh, 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 pertains to um, not just what goes on in gaming, but also sort of uh, lifting up uh, marginalized voices and people of color within gaming. So, uh, Khalif, thank you very much for joining us. I, I am really looking forward to your perspective. Uh, how are you doing? How, how are things been in your world? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you both for having me. I'm I'm super excited to to be on with you both. Uh, it's been it's been an interesting week. It was a very long week in the world of IT because uh, <laughs> everything that wanted to break could possibly break, and it did. Uh, so of course, uh, I'm trying. I'm, I'm coming down from my anxiety uh, attacks and trying to figure out how I'm going to just chill out for the rest of the weekend. But I'm super excited to be with you both. Wow, man, I feel you. I worked IT for like two and a half years at a university. That can uh, those long weeks are real long. It is no joke, but it is now the weekend. Party party time is here. My check is hopefully in the mail, so we'll see how everything goes. <laughs> well, uh, thanks for taking some time out to join us. And, uh, you know, I've, I've actually been listening um, to your content for a little while now as well. And uh, you and I have been talking a little bit just sort of informally about some topics in, in gaming and esports that I think sort of go under addressed so what we're going to kind of mm. do in this episode is is we're going to break it up into two parts so we're going to start with good old game talk so never fear everyone who's sort of sitting in the background like what what are they planning like what what where's this going i don't understand at this moment never fear we're going to talk about plenty of gaming uh uh you know uh Khalif comes from a uh, perspective more of general games and stuff like that but peers in on the competitive game world so we're going to sort of revisit our discussion from last week with nathan and, and talk about how these these worlds of traditional gaming and competitive gaming are are coming together but we're going to spend the, the back half of the show um, talking about how in this day and age when it seems like everyone is getting access to have a platform from which they can express their views, why don't more people do that in esports and gaming? And is there a role for um, people to introduce conversations or have even difficult conversations uh, within gaming or within the realm of esports? So I uh, hope you guys will enjoy that. But uh, to kick things off, that's let's let's get started with competitive games Khalif from your perspective uh, you guys just covered E3 uh, what role if any are competitive games having on the traditional gaming world because it seems like more and more 
every publisher is now leading their marquee title is a competitive game in some fashion, whether it's a new Battle Royale, which is all the rage, or Super Smash Brothers, which was the centerpiece for Nintendo. I mean, it seems like from, you know, a general games perspective, competitive games are here to stay as a big voice in the gaming community. Yeah, it's been really interesting to come off the heels of E3 and just see everyone coming out with a battle royale game or some form of that uh i just heard a really good conversation on kind of funny uh this afternoon that was talking about just the ideas of how they're trying to have big a big triple a publishers kind of put out games that are kind of touching those realms and trying to kind of cross pollinate in in, in various spaces it's been nice to see um some of the smaller companies kind of push their ways into the into the space too on the indie side uh, just kind of generally speaking, it's been good to see competitive games come out of places that you didn't expect. Uh, there was like a, a Battle Royale game that came out, uh, or it should be coming out soon, that's just going to be specifically on the Switch, which was a thing I didn't expect either. Um, so it's nice to be able to see that, you know, competitive games, you know, used to be the thing that, quote unquote, was for the hardcore. But now we're seeing that that kind of move itself into bigger spaces. And it's pretty refreshing to see that uh, because it's not a thing that a lot of folks who I think who are kind of competitive in the kind of more traditional ways that we think of and usually in terms of sports or games like Rocket League or, or stuff like that, uh, we're seeing kind of even the genres kind of bloom and, and blossom out as well, which has been really cool to see. It's been fun. So I actually wanted to ask Khalid, like, we've had this kind of come in waves. World of Warcraft, I think, is one of the few, I guess they call them lifestyle games now, <clears throat> excuse yeah. me, where, like, you're basically trying to have one game be the focus of someone's time, and that, like, kind of kicked off the MMO gold rush, and then we had League of Legends and, you know, to a lesser extent, Dota 2, but primarily League kind of kick off the MOBA gold rush, and then we've had PUBG and Fortnite, which is, like, the latest lifestyle game to kind of kick off this Battle Royale um, gold Rush, and these have kind of been bridges to the from the competitive community to the casual community. Um, how is that kind of affecting how you're covering the games industry? Have you seen like people try to switch up their strategies and trying to cover these lifestyle games more as they've been getting more popular and you know branching even more genres? I mean, I feel like you have to kind of give the nod to Fortnite in this way, and I don't want to kind of keep harping on the Battle Royale thing, but it is right now. Oh, we now, do. Don't currently. worry. Don't worry. Yeah, yeah. I mean, currently, it is the thing that has become the new pet rock. You know what I mean? If It is that thing that everyone knows about but doesn't know about. It's the thing that parents are talking about in terms of their kids where they don't fully realize what it is. They don't really know exactly how it affects them. They just know that their kids are spending a lot of time and money in this particular field. So it is a thing that now when we're trying to cover specific games and trying to cover and look at how we want to kind of talk about games, you know, we, we as a show specifically try to kind of bridge that gap where we don't kind of use a lot of the terminology that a lot of folks who are insiders would use because we want to keep it fairly open for folks who are who are not gamers as well. Um, but it has been a thing that has changed a lot of the ways that we both cover games, things that we seek out, um, conversations with developers that we usually have changed a little bit, not a lot, but in the ways that it's kind of expanded the, the big Venn diagram of what we see uh, as things that we're kind of more uh, interpreting as as movements 
it's been interesting to just be able to kind of pick that apart and see it happen, not necessarily in real time, but now you can see things coming down the pipeline and you're like, okay, this is a thing that we have to pay attention to because it will affect the, the industry in this way. It'll touch this demographic in a way that we didn't expect, or it'll do, it'll, it'll, it'll move spaces that we, we currently see as kind of the more kind of casual or more kind of mainstream gamer. You know, it's it's interesting because I, I, people who are frequent listeners of the show are gonna, are going to wince when I use this term, this analogy <laughs> again. But it's like I've I've always considered battle royales to be wrestling or monster trucks. They're not they're not yeah. quite sports. They're not esports. They're well close. Fortnite probably will become one, but they kind of feel like esports. They take place in the same sort of venue. They are, involve gamers and stuff like that. They're competitive in nature, but there's something. A little bit more like you don't necessarily have to be a sports fan to be a wrestling fan you know what i mean you're in it for right, the entertainment right, right. and i and i think that there's always sort of been this dream for developers and publishers of competitive games or esports titles that like they're going to have a title which just really resonates with a a, a general casual fan base and if, if you want to look at the next demographic you know of, of most likely people to want to watch esports well, it's probably people who are gamers but not aware of the competitive space is, is there ever going to be this world in which competitive games dominate the games industry in your opinion see you're, you're more connected to general games than I am so all I see is the what the various different competitive games are doing against each other at any given point mm-hmm. in time the market share that they're taking I couldn't tell you beyond like a couple of trailers that I saw at E3 what's happening in the general games world or the single player world <laughs> so so am I sort of just blinded when I see competitive games everywhere and it's my bias saying that it is everywhere or are are competitive games actually in a position to like take over the lion's share of the general gaming attention too I don't think so I mean I think we're I think we're pretty far away from the the kind of competitive games that we that we know and love, the Halos, the shooters, now the Battle Royales and things like that, becoming uh, a space that's going to be kind of something that you hear about in multiple places that, you know, again, like Fortnite has taken that spot where it has taken that zeitgeist and, and keeps keeps layering more zeitgeist on top of more zeitgeist, <laughs> yeah. which, has been, which has been cool to see. But it's also, you know, the, the closest thing that I would think we'd get there currently is the fighting game community so you have you know espn2 will run stuff about evo uh you'll have now you know with the nba 2k league being a thing that's going to be something that possibly can penetrate into those spaces but again you have to and i'm sure you've all had this conversation on this show specifically about when you talk about esports and you talk about them in terms of the mainstream kind of uh, uh, media community or, or consumers of media and video games specifically, you know, what is a sport? What is the thing that pulls a person in? Do you, do you continue to call things sport uh, mm-hmm. if it's not something that's physical and, and, and takes that kind of physical in the way that most people think of exertion when it comes to actual, like, you know, you've trained to do this thing and you've right. physically exerted yourself in a way that most people traditionally think of sport. Um, and I have that conversation with folks all the time. Um, and I said, it's difficult to try to penetrate that space when there is a very specific thing that people are thinking about when it comes to competitive games. Uh, but does it translate well to what what people uh, visually see? And that's yeah. always going to be a hard thing to kind of kind of mash up and also try to convey to folks. Um, and, and I think like, again, the, the, the one I think of all the time now when it comes to that is because it's so new is the NBA 2K League. And um, 
I've been debating on whether I think it's too early for it to happen. Uh, I've been debating if I think it's going to continue to do okay because it's doing all right right now, but it's not doing it's not doing well. Uh, it's in the first year of its, its if it's of its uh, uh, being out, but it's again, how do you translate a thing that people traditionally think about and make that one competitive, two compelling to watch, and three something that people who don't play video games can can get into. Oh, hold so on, it's a, hard, it's a hard bundle. I have to, I'm, I have to ask, I have to ask because the, no, this is a perfect opportunity because I am, I okay. okay, okay. Here's my opinion. Here's what I've said about the NBA 2K League at this point. I I just yeah. don't think in general sports games work as esports. I've said this for a long time because you just want to go watch the. Why would I tune in and watch someone play a a sports game when I would literally just tune in and watch someone compete in that sport, you know, professionally or, or something along those lines. And, and I get it. This is in the off season. This is at a time when there's not a lot of viewership on um, the G League or anything like that. OK, yeah. it seems like the most logical point for them to be able to throw it out there. But I just every time I watch those, I'm just like, man. I really like the fun to me of basketball yeah. is watching the individual ability of the amazing athletes and what they do on the court. Right. You know what I mean? And I just don't feel it in the 2K league. I just got to know what you think about the league so far. Well, and I totally agree with you. And that's and that's where I kind of land on it. And it's it's the hardest part for the folks. And I want I want that thing to I want that thing to succeed. I want 2K to to do well with it. I want the NBA to do well with it because I would love to to figure out a way to participate in some form or fashion. But again, it's like the thing that I watch when I watch NBA basketball, when I look at actual humans play that thing, they do stuff that I can't do. Yes. Everything that I see in yeah. NBA 2K, yeah. I can do. <laughs> exactly. And that's, exactly. And that's the yeah. thing. And that's the hard part is like that's you. there's a, a part of mysticism that I don't think a lot of people really understand when it comes to sports. And I think that that's the thing that, that a lot of folks don't really get is there is this attachment to a team or multiple teams that you've had from God knows where. And we don't know where it came from, but you have this one seminal moment where you're like, this team speaks to me in a way, whether it's where you lived when you grew up or some specific moment that happened in the, in the team's history that, that made it really cool. But then you have the players themselves that you attach yourselves to, because again, they can do things physically that you literally can't do. There's no way I can be Steph Curry at this point in my life. Yeah. Probably so ever I, in my life, in multiple lives, in, <laughs> I could never be Steph Curry. <laughs> I can be Steph Curry in the NBA 2K League. Right, yeah. And it doesn't translate well. So it's hard, it's hard to, to kind of look at in that way and say, okay, well, this person. And, and really quickly, I want to just add this, this layer to it. They have fi- they're trying to figure out right now how to translate the actual game of 2K to an audience through the minutiae of all the small things that that game does well. And the problem is the game itself is fairly complicated. Basketball itself is not that complicated. Mm -hmm. The game, the the, the video game is 10 times more complicated (laughs) than the actual sport. Yep. And it's really hard to translate that if you don't know that. So I don't know how it's going to turn out, but I'm pushing for it. I want it to do well. I think it's a really interesting uh, idea. I just don't know if it's going to work. So I'm glad you brought up fighting games because I've always thought this is the classic example of something where you don't really even have to necessarily play that fighting game to understand what's going on in it because it's very simply like you versus the other guy and the guy who gets the other guy down first wins. Right. Um, and, I, you know, we were talking about Fortnite and I think that the battle royale premise of last one standing is also a fairly easy thing to understand regardless of the gameplay mechanics around Fortnite. It's just really entertaining. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know... 
I think that sports games have that aspect going for it, where it's easy to understand because people understand sports. But, you know, as you were saying, the aspect it doesn't have is, you know, the kind of miracle performance of some of the pro athletes. But I do think in games like Fortnite and fighting games, you can appreciate what they're doing and think, like, if you've ever played one game of Fortnite, you know the stuff that a lot of these pro players are doing with their buildings is stuff that most people just can't actually do. And mm -hmm. so you do get that kind of level of mysticism and mastery that they have, and it's really easily translatable in, in an online game. And I think fighting games are the same way, that even if you haven't necessarily played it, you can understand how, like, impressive it is for people to pull off combos or blocks or reversals or whatever it may be. And I really think that... Um, battle royales and fighting games have this if they can figure out a way you know kevin we've talked about this like how what is the best way to put on a battle royale game in a competitive format but i think the mm. thing that it has going for it is the fact that the mastery aspect of it is definitely impressive when you know shooting people is hard and building things is really hard yeah yeah, yeah. no i i i completely agree with that and um, it, it's like when I watch someone who's really good at Fortnite play, they do those kind of things. I'm going to probably get hate mail for this, but like it's I'm not <laughs> comparing Ninja to Steph or anything like that. But you get that similar sort of feel like when Ninja does something that's just off the wall, insane, crazy. You're like, wow, I could never yeah. do that. That's incredible. That's amazing. Yeah. But when I see someone, you know, take a great shot in 2K or something like that, I'm like, oh, the game just calculated you at a 15 percent chance yeah. of making that shot contested, right. you know, or something. Yeah, like that. that always Where, bothers me, too. And it's like it's literally just just math for shots in NBA right. 2K and that just doesn't feel as but, good like Kevin I don't know if you've seen like the video that went around that was of Mongrel the secret player doing like the double layered stairway to heaven but like so many people after that accused him of macroing to the extent that he actually had to make a video showing his hands doing it yeah. and it's like <laughs> that is like that is the level of impressive where people literally think you're botting and you're that good at building at the game so like right. it's that's so easy to see that people assume he's cheating he's so good at it right and, yeah. and that's why that's impressive to me just the same as like when I see Steph on the court and he just leaves the arena moves three miles away and still takes the shot and makes it you're just like oh how did you do that you know that there's just raw ability and it just it's not the same thing when even someone takes a you know a shot from across the court in 2k and it's like oh great you had a mathematical chance of making that by pressing a button and i just i just that disconnect to me is so pronounced every time i watch and and i and i'm like i want to see it succeed i do i actually do it's it's done intelligently it's it's done in the off season when people are starving for basketball content i like that mm -hmm. But I just I I can't do it yet. I just can't. It's the reason why that that one that one clip of Justin Wong and Daigo will never oh, go away. Yeah, absolutely. It's, be, it's because it's that thing that 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 one moment where this one competitor did this thing, and it was just like the the penultimate version of just like I have bust my behind for years to learn how to do this thing. For when this one moment came up, I was able to pull this out. There are very few esports, video games, competitive games, period, that lend to moments like that. I haven't seen one in Halo. I haven't seen one in 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 COD. I haven't seen anything like that in in Rocket League. Like there are very few games that lend to the ability of having those moments. And when you do, that's when you become a legend. You know what I mean? Like that's when legendary status hits. Is when those things kind of pop out. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I completely agree. I. Uh... I so 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 this this brings up an interesting conversation though because like there is a large 
and growing demographic of gaming fans that are starting to bridge these two worlds, right? Like Fortnite is a perfect example of this. It's drawing in a massive amount of people who were maybe they would have been inclined to play other competitive games or something like that. Maybe they weren't necessarily strictly single-player games per se, but it's drawing a lot of console fans in with PC fans and bridging a gap that sort of didn't exist before, especially with the incredibly robust cross-platform play that exists in the game, right? And the game has sort of permeated pop culture in a way that a game hasn't done in a very long time, maybe since, like, Call of Duty. Um, yeah. And so, and so I... I, th I I guess I guess what I'm asking and, and what I want to get at here is like, what does that segment of gamers who sort of live in both these worlds, what what does that sort of ultimately become? Fortnite's trying to put $100 million behind making some sort of a competitive circuit that's going to broadly appeal to them. Is that right? Is that what they should be doing to keep and retain these fans who aren't necessarily core competitive uh, uh, fans to begin with? Or should they be doing something else to support influencers? I don't know. What do you think? I mean, you kind of have to do it, right? You have to. I mean, it's it's a thing that I always find troubling because I am never going to be a pro player, right? So it's like I I I don't have the motor skills anymore. I'm old. Uh, I'm not going to be able to do the things that I once was able to do. Yeah. And I've you know I figured that out, and I'm like, oh, I'm okay with that. So when I watch, you know, I, I pay attention to to the stuff that Epic does all the time because of just the game doing what it's do what it's doing. And plus, I feel like they've done such a a, a remarkable job of taking a game that initially didn't even have a battle royale put that thing out and then also kind of like grow the industry in this other weird way um but it's been something that they i feel like they have to cater to the top two percent in a lot of yeah. ways right where it's it's unfortunate because when if you watch folks who are in that space talk about the games when anything happens in terms of patches or any kind of new um, additions or anything that kind of shakes it up a little bit, which is what Epic has done from the beginning with Fortnite. Um, they kind of bark at it a lot. And it's one of those things where it's like, once those folks bark, then all of that stuff filters down. It's like the the really like annoying waterfall. <laughs> it's where it's like everything <laughs> from that point forward kind of gets disseminated out of like, all right, so Myth doesn't like this thing anymore. So now I think a lot of people don't like this thing now. Mm -hmm. So it's it's an interesting space for them to be able to kind of pay attention to the power that they have and the platforms that they have as being <clears throat> competitors, but also being ambassadors, right? So it's like they are the folks who are constantly being the ones who are coming out to events or those are the folks who get access to stuff early. So they get to be the taste the tastemakers when it comes to that stuff. And I think Epic has to cater to those folks, but also they can't lose the middle because once yeah. you lose the middle then that game fails because the middle is where all your money's coming from. Yeah, Those are the so people the, get that's them. Kind of my, that's kind of my point is I think for first off, I think it's impossible for Epic to get this so wrong that they lose the base just because this game has just transcended everything. Mm -hmm. But I do think that they, they've made a little bit of a mistake. I think that the, them doing the invitational at E3 was great. They got a lot of celebrities involved. It really just kind of helped drive the cult of personality behind this game to new levels, which is amazing. I think that they haven't transitioned over enough to pure competition yet. For example, the announcement they had that was kind of like the $8 million showmat series over however many weeks it was that they announced it. They said, okay, well, all of the players have been invited and there's no way to qualify for it. And then they didn't even say who was playing in it. So I'm <laughs> yes, like, sir. so you, you've now said that there's this event that's going to happen. It's going to be awesome. 
but we're not going to tell you who's playing in it and you can't. That that feels really bad for the people who have been like grinding this game and think they're really good. Um, I, I think that what you're talking about is like the people who are really competitive at this game and think, oh, I can go pro. Because I always think that you need some kind of a pathway to, even if it's just to give people the illusion that they could be as good as some of these amazing players that they see. But I mm -hmm. think that really does help drive the people who are like a little bit more than casual, but not quite pro. And that just kind of drives their engagement with the game even more. And I think that by not giving those people an outlet, it could potentially alienate them to the point where they switch something else where they could have that dream of being a pro player. Because while that doesn't drive even like 90% of, of the audience, that like 10% of the audience that does care about that does help increase the popularity of the games that they're playing. And I think that if they alienate that 10% base, they could eventually see some issues with retention when people kind of switch over but having said that there is still time for them to course correct i just think that they probably need to do that pretty soon if they're going to try to retain those people well here's the thing too that i don't think a lot of folks uh paid attention to or, or are paying attention to in terms of that because i totally agree with what you just said the other aspect to that is that they tried this two years ago with paragon mm-hmm and Paragon right. had a very, very interested and very, very excited uh, uh, base where they had competitive people who, like, they were running competitive leagues already. Folks who were not of Epic's, uh, who, who didn't work for Epic. They were running leagues. They were running tournaments. They were running all this stuff that was working really well. And they grew it, you know, outside of Epic's, um, uh, what's, the, what's the word? Uh, outside of Epic's kind of, uh, watch and kind of their view and it kind of plateaued really quickly because epic didn't know what they wanted to do on the competitive side right so right. it took a minute for them to try to figure out what they wanted to do how they were actually going to engage the community in this way where they're going to put funds towards it a lot of stuff so i can understand now where epic is a little bit gun shy and they have a little bit of like don't touch the hot stove and they want to take a little bit of extra time, which I was actually surprised they did that thing at E3, to be honest. I was actually really surprised they did it this early. Do you think it was too soon or they? you thought they may, might think it's too soon? I, I mean, I think that they it's it's kind of like, let's try a thing, see if it works, see if people dig it. And then they already had people in place who were thinking about this because of because of Paragon. So they already have folks who are like looking at the space, both for that game and now and now for Fortnite. But it is one of those things where you can't ruffle too many feathers because those folks talk, those folks are within your Discord and they're sharing out information. Those folks are, you know, big streamers now who once they once they flip, you can't get those folks back without doing a lot of PR and a lot of damage control. So it's like you want to kind of like pet those people with 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 kid gloves and try to make sure that they're okay. But I, I mean, I don't I think they might have done it a little bit early. I don't. I don't think they needed to have that invitational just yet. I'm, but it was. It was good the way it came off, though. I think it came off well. I'm. I'm curious how big this game gets in the end. Like, are are we at the point now where we're seeing it start to taper off, and we can expect that growth is going to be, if anything, you know, slower and linear at this point, or if they're still going to have this crazy ramp up and can sustain it through like 200 million players or something like that. I don't know. Maybe in mobile they can. Um, yeah. I don't know. Well, so I, I, I kind of want to switch gears, though, and, and, and kick over to our to our second topic, which, uh, uh, again, was sort of the way that I've always thought about 
social issues in esports and introducing conversation that can be uncomfortable for some, but I feel is very necessary. It's gaming in and of itself, in my opinion, is and has always been sort of a privilege activity, right? You either mm. had to have the, your family had to have the resources to um, purchase some sort of a gaming device, or you had to be able to pay to have access to a gaming device, even if that was just quarters at an arcade machine or something like that. That still required some sort of a, a monetary commitment and the ability to have enough free time to be able to sit down and just go, I want to play video games, right? Um, and so to me, gaming has always sort of started at first, and this happens in a lot of different industries and activities where sort of the, the, the collective voice is dominated by those people who sort of hold the market share in the early stages of that industry. And make no mistake, as big as gaming is, we are still in the grand scheme of things, the early stages of this industry and how big of a cultural mm -hmm. force it will be long term. Um, so we're in a position I think this is especially in esports, and I want to open up this conversation to include general gaming and sort of both your thoughts on this in general. But but I think especially in esports, where not only did you have to have access to games, but you had to act access to high-powered systems or specific titles or online access or something along those lines, the share of voice has largely been dominated by very specific groups of people, right? And... I think that to a large degree, we've seen that as more people have sort of gained a voice on social media and start to express it, there's been significant backlashes against that. And so I think a lot of people have fear about, well, if I'm the one to speak up or I'm the one to speak out, I could get targeted or I could get harassed. And there's been a lot of examples of where that's happened specifically in gaming. So I guess the way I want to kick off this conversation is... What do we sort of do about that attitude? How do we either encourage people to use their platform and their voice to speak out about issues that they see in the industry? Uh, and how do we more broadly um, encourage other people to support that sort of behavior? Mm -hmm. mm, that's a, that's a really I, I will, good question. I actually just wanted to come out and say I'm, I'm one of the people that has a lot of opinions about social issues in gaming, and I'm just very reticent to talk about it on Twitter because of the fear of unknowingly stepping into a minefield that doesn't know I, that I don't know exists. Mm. Um, and making myself aware to communities that will react poorly to that opinion. And I have I have definitely made several social media faux pas in my time. And you're, if you're active on social media for long enough, you're going to make one at some point. Um, and so kind of your point, Kevin, like I myself feel gun shy. Um, and I mean, I don't have a perfect solution, but the number one thing that I, I always go to first is uh, trying to teach empathy first rather than immediately going to either vitriol or passion or the need to combat something. I always, uh, in most cases, when something is, you know, either a misinterpretation or an insensitivity, I try to think from the perspective is of is this person actually trying to have noble intentions and they just didn't know and really trying to look at like the assume that this person had good intentions and they weren't just trying to be an asshole like from to speak frankly about it because i do think there are there are definitely instances where 
people are into a scene late and they're not accepted and you know there's a dominant cult of personality or a dominant force that's you know dominating that scene and it's hard then for people to get their voices in and i think that people are quick to reject them but at the same time there are people who are just trying to be destructive towards particular communities and kind of separating those two i think is something that people don't necessarily spend as much time on right now yeah yeah i mean as a person who has started a show based on trying to uplift voices that aren't heard often um, and as being an African-American man in America, there are so many different aspects to that conversation that we can dig into. Um, I, I agree with what you just said. I think that there is a very specific need to be able to share information and share ideas in a way that allows for mistakes. Um, it's a thing that we don't see often anymore because I think can uh, cancel culture is a thing that we see has popped itself up in a in a in a not great way i think it has done some good um mm -hmm. but i think that there is an inverse to that too that doesn't necessarily breed the ability for people to again learn from folks and be able to have people kind of share information and share um the learning process in ways that are that are beneficial to folks i think that you know we just had uh, on the show actually last night we had the folks from the games workers games workers unite um, organization who are trying to help unionize uh, the gaming industry. And it's one of those conversations where, you know, people who are going to, you know, use a service like that or to kind of figure themselves to be people who want to be more outspoken about social issues. It's just literally really just hard to be able to put yourself out there. I think mm -hmm. that the folks who are willing to do it, like myself and and the folks who are on our show and people who we, we feel are, are, are allies to our cause and people who care about trying to make the gaming space better um you ha they have to try to figure out ways to kind of group up and share information in, in good ways and also just be really outspoken like i don't i think there's been a really a bad precedent set that was like i know a lot of people want to kind of uh, pigeonhole trump into this particular thing where we, we we've kind of dug into this like every side is equal thing which it's it's not we like if you're being honest about it it's not a it's not a simple thing of being like well that that racist yeah. that racist person had us not a all opinions are equal <laughs> not all sure. opinions are equal like yeah that that racist person had a total valid point i'm like yeah, but... trump all you want yeah <laughs> like that's not real it's like, like no the holocaust was not the jews fault i'm sorry right. that's just not yeah, a valid yeah. opinion yeah right and it's one of those things that again it's like if you if you give air to to silly notions and things that are that, that aren't really in the realm of the actual reality that you live in, you wind up getting into dangerous spaces because while people are trying to deal with the semantics of if this thing is racist or not, people are dying in the street. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's like mm -hmm. I wake up with a fear every day for specific things to happen to me because of my blackness that folks may not have to worry about. But while everyone's trying to figure out how to deal with the like the feelings part of it, I have to continue and, and wake up every morning and make decisions, snap decisions every day that keep me safe. So it's like there is this conversation when it comes to the gaming aspect of, you know, what are, what are the things that we want to put out into the world? Who are the people that we want to kind of give the space to learn, to grow, who might have been in positions of power or, or who continue to be in positions of power and may not, and may not realize it? while also kind of giving these people who are trying to just carve out a niche where they say, you know, I'm here, I have a difference of opinion, I have a difference, different way of being, 
and give them the same ability to kind of enjoy the games and look at them and talk about them through their own prism in a way that other people can can see the the kinship and it can see the again the venn diagram of where we are more alike than we aren't mm-hmm. so there, there's a lot of those spaces where you know we can do that work on in, in social media spaces but i think the way it actually works is when you have that time when you're you know in a in a private chat with someone that you're gaming with and someone says a thing that's off color and and, and probably wrong and you take those people to task like yep. there are things that you can do every day in the spaces that you already occupy that you can use to push back against some of the things that we already see. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I, I think that's so on point. And, and I think a lot of people all the time sort of ask, well, what can I do? What what can I do to help solve this problem? What can I do to help push back against this? And it's like, well, there's probably people that you interact with on a daily basis that you're avoiding having an uncomfortable conversation with when uncomfortable things like that pop up. And I think another thing, too, is that I just wish – I I wish people would listen a little bit more and just be willing (laughs) to hear other perspectives and not just immediately go, okay, 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 I'll get your perspective. And now I'm going to prescribe a solution for you or something like that, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that in large part, social media has sort of emboldened people to do that, right? Because if you're the loudest about it and sort of the the most resolute in your opinion and double down when things go wrong because, hey, that's how you win a presidency, um, then it doesn't matter. And so I think we're in this weird space where, one, we sort of lack repercussions on Twitter for, you know, just saying some of the most (laughs) ridiculous things that are completely unfounded and sometimes supported by troll farms. And we just we just have no ability to sit back and and uh, listen because we're all trying to prescribe solutions constantly 24/7. I I don't know. I just I just wish people would listen. I mean, you sometimes sometimes you just have to disengage too, right? Where like I have this conversation with my wife all the time. I'm in an interracial match. So it's like we have the conversation all the time about, you know, whether a scenario that may may occur on the internet cuz she's come home many a night to hear me breaking down racial dynamics over a PSN. Mm-hmm. And she's like, and she's like, why do you continue to talk to these terrible people? I was like, because if no, if I don't do it, no one else will do it. Yeah. And yeah, that's the I, problem that's right. is like, if I don't do it, I shouldn't have to do it. Mm-hmm. I right. want to hand that, I want to hand that baton off all the time. But, but if I no do, one to hand it to, yeah, there's no one to hand it to. And the, and the people who I may hand it to may not do it right. To, you know to I mean? use a gaming analogy, I'm I play the healer because I don't trust anyone else to do it. Seriously, yeah, I will drop ammo at your feet all day in battle because I don't trust <laughs> yeah. other people to do it. Yeah, I you mean, at, at the same time, you have to pick your battles. I know that you know we, because of the anonymity and especially of Twitter in particular, that it's kind of hard to engage people because they're, you know, egg faces that have ridiculous opinions and don't you know and are completely unreasonable if you do come across someone who will actually not just like you know placate you by pretending to listen to you but will actually engage in a dialogue then there actually is some potential for change there and even people who start off the conversation with racial slurs or something sometimes you can reach them and i do think that um rather than just reacting and you know just going straight to condemning if you can find people who it is possible to engage with to at least find common ground as a starting point and then try to you know for lack of a better word preach why an issue is important then i actually think there is progress to be made but i think it involves a lot of patience empathy and understanding on all parties involved otherwise you have 
you know, this kind of like us versus them mentality on all sides that it becomes difficult to have any kind of discourse. And you don't necessarily, when, I, when I'm saying this, I'm not saying you have to acknowledge their opinions as valid, but you do have to kind of say, find a some grasp that they can grab a hold of where they can at least have some point of agreement and branch off from there, regardless of how outlandish you think their opinion is. Mm-hmm. It's It's been interesting to have that conversation. And I, and I agree for the most part on that. I think it's been um, something that I have thought about often because there are folks who will in good, in good faith, sometimes on the internet, come at you with a, like, I don't know about this thing. They said a thing and you can tell that they just literally don't. Mm-hmm. Right. And for those folks I have grace for, I'm like, all right, I will try to take the time to do this thing with, with the amount of time that I can in, in the grand scheme, when we talk about things that are like sexism and racism and it's, 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 it's a little bit uh, more reasonable to, to talk about, you know, sexual dynamics in ways or, you know, uh, sexual identity in, in, in those things. For some folks, that's very difficult. It's a, hard, it's a hard concept to wrap your brain around. And I can understand that because some of the concepts are not new, but they're newer. You know what I mean? They're newer than, than some of the other than some of the other things that we've talked about, like racism and stuff like that. Yeah. But when it comes to those things, I'm like, we live in the most technologically advanced society on the face of the planet. <laughs> yep. There is no way you don't know. Right. Or there if you no don't way... know, then you don't know because you don't want to know. Right. There is no way that you don't, that you can't obtain the information to make better decisions, to make more reasonable, uh, to have more reasonable conversations and to lessen your impact in that yeah. specifically dangerous way. So when I hear that, I'm just like, I, there isn't a lot that I can do for you, but tell you the basics and hope that you figure it out. So there, I, Khalif, you even might have seen this, but there was a clip with Ann Munition, the streamer, when she was playing a game of Rainbow Six Siege. She wasn't streaming, oh, yeah. but she was recording it. Yeah, and you know, we don't hate you because you're a girl. We hate you because you're bad. And she ended up winning the round, being MVP for them. Like, yep. That ended up becoming a teaching moment, at least a little bit. The guy apologized, how sincere his apology was, no idea. But do you think that those kinds of opportunities, like how common do you think that that opportunity is where you can actually show the situation for what it is and actually change someone's mind? I think it's rare, to be honest. I think, you know, in the way that human psychology, it's, it's very rare that people will change their mindsets from ones that they've been stuck with for a very long time. I think you have to snag people. Um, I think you have to snag people a little bit early when it comes to that um, and see if you can, you know, catch people when they're kind of in their beginning stages of having bad, bad habits and bad and, and bad ideas. I, I've seen maybe once or twice uh, in the time that I've been, the, in the time that I've been on the internet, people actually kind of switch up and change their 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 thought processes about stuff i do think things like the ammunition clip was great to see but it's also again like she had to prove that she right. was you know what i mean she had to prove that she was better she had than, to validate herself as a gamer before they would respect her as a woman you know what i mean like yeah. like that like that in and of itself is just madness and we see it all the time right we see folks do this thing all the time and it's one of those things where you're just like well okay what do you do about that how do you how do you fix that part of it where people then have to continuously validate themselves and continue to kind of talk about things in a way that makes them have to step out of their own 
you know, comfort zones or step out of their own uh, spaces to just validate people who don't really give a crap. You, you know, it's interesting because I, I struggle with sort of how to bring up that sort of conversation as well, even with people that I know growing up. So like because <clears throat> the thing that I struggle with the most is most is that we are so deeply divided as a society that a lot of times people are so entrenched in their beliefs that it's very difficult to sort of even invite people to be sort of uncomfortable enough to just share a position that they're unsure about or something they might change their mind on. And, you know, I, I, I like to relate the fact that I, I mean, I, I was born in St. Louis, Missouri, and uh, my parents got white flight and fled to the suburbs. And I grew up in the county in Missouri that just went for Trump by the widest margin in 2016. So give you some perspective. Um, and wow. it's exactly as you would expect. Um and I, I always joke, I, I had a relative who bought as many guns as possible after the 2008 election because he was convinced that Obama was going to let in red communist Chinese troops who were apparently <laughs> who were apparently not only going to invade the country, but were going to invade his homestead in Acadia, Missouri. So that's my family. And and my sort of path out of that world was just meeting other people, you know, that weren't you know, that didn't look exactly like me and trying to listen to other people's perspectives and move around a little bit and travel to different places and talk to different people and stuff like that. And I struggle so much when, when I look back at so many people that I used to know and I see that everyone's, you know, 31, they have uh, seven and a half kids. They have their four bedroom house with a Ford F-250 super diesel truck, every one of them. Mm. And and then I'm like, wait, OK, I'm broadly stereotyping you and distancing you from me right now, even as I say this. But irrespective <laughs> of that fact, um, you know, it's very difficult for me to be able to reach out to, to someone from that background, you know, and it's not to say that that I that I shouldn't do it. I'm using this as sort of a general thing. I do it quite a lot. I, I try to force that discussion on a regular basis. But I think people sort of struggle with that fact. So how when our industry is so decentralized and so much is of the conversation is occupied on the Internet, how do we start to invite those sort of discussions that are necessary to get people like I grew up with to sort of get outside of their their comfort zone and consider a different perspective how, how do how can we do that with the tools that we have online i mean i think getting away from facebook is uh, one of the ways <laughs> you know people always talk about the bubble yep and i i think if you know people say ah oh, it's the internet but the internet has changed like it, it went from being a message board forum culture to being a select your audience and select your peer culture and i think that the the latter, the select your peer culture has actually really negative Im negatively impact the culture of the internet, at least in that way, so far as uh, people, you know, being more accepting of outside opinions. And I don't know if this is going to involve a change in how we consume social media, a change in how, you know, game system works, but I think somehow breaking the bubbles, breaking the kind of uh, the group, group think is going to have to be the first step because it's so hard when, you know, the the fact of, you know, you are your six closest friends, like that's true. And if you're surrounding yourself with people who all have the same opinion, even if you have a different opinion, it's just human nature that naturally you're going to shift over. Mm. And if you're not exposed to outside opinions, you know, it's very hard for you to change yours to something when you're just not exposed to it. So I do think that I don't know exactly, you know, you can't change, you know, geopolitical economic issues like 
the dominance of certain social media platforms. But I do think if gamers want to make a change in our environment, then there's at least something to be done there where if you do have more open exchange of information and people are more tolerant and people are more willing to listen to ideas and be less, you know, stuck in their ways, I think that that would be a start. I don't know if that's a, a big solution or how that manifests, but that's kind of where I would start on that. I would I would contend that the the way that we got here, the most the most kind of um, impactful moment in gaming that got us to where we are, even a little bit before social media became a thing, was when private chat became an actual thing. I would say that was when a lot of things changed and when things got more insulated uh, in that in that particular place, because I like I can't recall the last time I last time I made a new friend. On a, yeah, on you know, street, that's on, a really a good point. Yeah, I yeah. try to play MMOs now, and, I, you know, it used to be I felt like I could make friends so easily, but now I can't play an MMO game unless I'm already playing with friends when I sign up yep. for it. It yep. is yep. crazy how Completely that shifted. Agree. Yeah, I think that I think that was a very important time in gaming history when that, I mean, and, and again, where did that come from? That came from people being jerks online, right? It wasn't, it wasn't like that was the thing. They were just like, oh, well, we need to do that. Like, I think that there was a part of that where you know there was a a want from the gaming community to be like i just want to talk to my friends but i think a lot of that got pushed out because they were just terrible human beings on on online and then people are like i don't want to deal with these folks so it kind of moved itself from one space to another now we see that everyone's kind of literally just playing with the people who they constantly agree with so there's very few people that do that do you think, because I know a big part of the jerks, on, people being jerks on the internet is anonymity. Like, I don't want to say take, an, taking away anonymity on the internet is universally good. There's a lot of issues there. But do you think that taking away some of the anonymity on the internet might actually go to reverse some of that? I don't, I don't think so, only because it's too easy to get back into the system. Um, you see on Twitch where a lot of folks are like, I don't have the ability to IP ban people. Why don't I have that? I need that ability. So when people are being jerks, I can remove them from my space in a real way. There was a conversation about that with the firings of, of uh, Jessica Price and with um, Peter Fry's this week with Arena Net. In that conversation about what, there is a very small amount that publishers and game developers can do to remove bad entities from their communities in real ways. Like you see with um, Rainbow Six just having information to drop this week or today actually about- Yeah, literally you today. A, you use a slur and they, and they ban you for a certain amount of time. Like you need to have really harsh consequences that hit people's wallets and hit people's ability to enjoy the thing that they like. Like there is a thing that you have to do that you have to remove that ability for people to do it. I think there should be permabans for stuff. There has to be ways that you can help yeah. to better have you, you need better support to be able to do that to figure out the nuance of stuff because there's a conversation there about you know certain words that have become more popular in hip-hop culture that other folks will feel like is not the same is not the same word and they want to be able to either use that word or use the kind of more stereotypical racist version of that word so yeah. like do, do you get to then you need people who are able to understand the nuance of conversations around that who are working in the in the games industry you need to be able to kind of remove bad bad actors out of the space permanently and be willing to eat that loss monetarily uh you need to be able to kind of figure out ways that you want to look and build the community that you want especially for newer games that are just coming up and for the ones who are already there 
So there's a lot of conversations that have to, to, to go along with that besides the anonymity part, because just taking someone, just, just being uh, anonymous on the, on the internet just gives you so much more power, but you can still get yourselves back into the house if you want to. You always have keys. That, yeah, that's interesting. I do think, to your point, if people were banned for using a racial slur for life from a game, they would 100% stop doing it. I, I do think <laughs> that that would, that would stop it if they really were serious about it. Esports e e yep. can't even ban known people from using hard RN words for life. <laughs> so don't we think you're going to ban right. people anonymously? Oh, don't worry, Khalif. We have some fun examples over the past few months of some some <laughs> ludicrous individuals that... Uh, have uh i i feel crossed far beyond thresholds that uh, should you know basically preclude any organization from ever hiring them ever again but uh they're usually back in the circuit like two weeks later so we're yep. we're, yeah. we're pretty far behind in that front yep agreed so i so what we've decided and, and because we're solving all the world's problems right here in gaming. Congratulations, <laughs> us. That's, this is beautiful. Hey, man, I love um, it. At least we're having the discussions that need to happen around this. I think that people too often acknowledge the problems without discussing the solutions. And I think we've at least hit on some of the, the things that are affecting it. Even if you don't have the right answer, it's good to know what the effects of the changes of the culture have been. I agree. I yeah, agree, definitely. Agree. And, and I think that the two things that we've come to, one, I... 100% agree with Khalif's point before. The most important thing we can do is just engage people you actually interact with that exhibit, you know, bad behavior and confront them about it or try, you know, not necessarily just, you know, violently confront, but try to reason and speak to them. Uh, but online, this is this is genuinely harder. And I think this is something that is it's not unique to gaming with as ubiquitous as social media is uses in you know every aspect of most people's lives and stuff like that but i think it is especially prevalent because of how relatively young our demographic is and so how readily they've taken to social media and how much of the gaming universe lives online um i am really curious about the ways in which we start to impact the discussion there at least start to raise issues and have those conversations because so many people will be openly confrontational i think that's great whenever someone you know demonstrates pretty egregiously bad behavior you have to speak out against it um, more people should use their platform to condemn outright bad behavior um, but how how do we begin to have those conversations online it's something that I just continue to struggle with and I, I just don't have any good answers for it I mean you're starting that conversation here though I mean it's and, and that's fair, one of the things is like the folks who are in those spaces who are you know who are doing that work on the front quote-unquote front lines that's when people need to signal boost those people and share their work out and, and kind of see that those things are getting pushed out. I've seen numerous podcasts in the past month or two and YouTube channels in the past, you know, 10 years, whenever you see conversations around, you know, funding for things and for support, monetary, you know, monetary support for folks and, and, and giving people access and getting people through doors that they didn't have before the people who are, gatekeeping those things for specific reasons some of those folks are the people who you need to kind of knock knock on the door first and say well okay so you have these people who are doing really good work who don't have the who might not have the numbers that you know a ninja may have or someone else may have who or, or other folks who are not doing necessarily a great work ninja's doing great work but those folks whenever you see the conversation happen you see the funding happen those folks who tread on terrible things consistently make more money 
consistently have more access are are the ones that developers and publishers will look the other way and say, well, you know what? You might've said that thing two weeks ago, but we'll totally invite you to our, to our event. Or when our Patreon hits, all those people make tens of thousands of dollars when other people are doing good work on the opposite end, can't make a, a grand a month. So it's like the ways that people have to kind of help push that stuff forward is some people have to put their money where their mouth is. If you want to see the things get better, you support people who are doing good work. You, you, you signal boost the people who are doing good work and you help to get them in places that are more beneficial so that their, 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 their audience grows and that their conversations are be able are, are able to be heard in places that they, they weren't before. So it's like, there are ways that you can do it. And all of that has been done online. You know, our show wouldn't be doing well if, if we didn't have Twitter. If we didn't have Facebook, you know, it's, it's all those places that people consider to be the kind of hell holes of conversation. You know, <laughs> if, if folks are looking to, to, to spread love and spread and spread good messages and, and try to push nuance out into the world, those are the folks that you have to give space to. And you have to be able to tell, you know, and sh- let them share their stories. Cause that's the only way it gets better is you have to balance out some of that gross with some good. Mm-hmm. And if you if you know people who are doing good work, you got to share that stuff out. You can't just hold it. So what I'm what I'm getting from this is I can't just angry tweet Trump 20 times a day to erase my guilt. I should. Yes, you can. You okay. totally can. Okay. All right. You, totally you also have to sell your your shares in in all of his companies though, Kevin. <laughs> yes. Cuz yeah. I know you I know you've got all of that Trump stock. Somewhere. Yeah, clearly I'm tied up in so much Trump stock. If if I could just use some of that to pay off any of my debt, I would actually consider making that trade right now. God, I've worked in a Trump building before. It is not pretty. Oh, really? That does not sound great. I I have stories. I I live in New York and it was, I I had this one day, I don't know why, I just walked, I walked like seven and a half miles through Manhattan or something like that and it was oddly cathartic to just, I walked into Trump Tower. I don't know why. I just, I just, I was there. It's like, you just had to see it. It was oddly unemotional. I wrote down the escalator where he called people rapists and murderers and I was just like, (laughs) okay, this is where all this happened. Okay. (laughs) And and the funny thing about it is if you, if you, well, I'm, I'm a native New Yorker and who I moved out to Portland, Oregon. But I remember the first time I was in a Trump building after uh, some years after the Central Park Five case, <sighs> where he put up this huge ad in, in the uh-huh. paper, basically telling the, the city to kill these kill these young men. Um, and I remember how gross and, and opulent and and bad and in in the worst taste ever that building was constructed in the in the in the art that was in it. And I was like, this is a classic example of just what trump is yeah it's all these gross things layered upon layers upon layers with a really good gold leaf feel (laughs) i was like it's all just gross and terrible and is exactly who this man is yes yeah Yeah. but i do think like you have a great point about voting with your wallet don't support the patreons of the people who are spouting this you know don't necessarily like try to avoid the con because people in this in the internet just giving people views is giving the money avoid the content of people that you don't want to support like i have certain people blocked on twitter just because i don't want to see their content and avoid clicking it and i try to support the ones with messages that i do agree and really try to share it around um that's why like when i saw the esports awards you know this week i've been like evangelizing emily rand who is one of the best esports journalists in the space she's been snubbed from the nominees basically every year in which she's been eligible. I worked with her at all these sports and I've just always been a huge supporter of her. 
and I'm really hoping that she wins because she's a perfect example of a woman trying to be an analysis, an analyst, excuse me, in League of Legends, which is just not something that's that common. And it's really courageous for her to constantly put her opinion out there every single week, despite the fact that she's at a huge risk of being hated, not only because she's a woman in the gaming industry, but she's a woman in the gaming industry who's trying to educate people on how to play the game, which is like obviously really dangerous for anyone, but especially a woman. And I'm just hoping that enough people will see the work that she's doing and kind of like vote for her over some less scrupulous people who are also nominated. <laughs> what you mean we shouldn't uh, allow people who try to break down the etymological definitions of homophobic slurs <laughs> and argue that you historical know, I might, definitions I might be are relevant? About one Duncan Shields. Oh, okay. Is that okay? Yeah. All right. I thought I thought that's who you're referencing. You know. Uh, anyway, that is a great note to leave it as we just move past the one hour mark. Um, well, Hey guys, this was an excellent discussion and I really appreciate it. Cleve, thank you so much for joining the show. It was a genuine pleasure having you on. I really appreciate your perspective and hopefully we'll have you back on again sometime to do this again. I would love to come back on and talk about more stuff like this and everything else that you all are digging into. And thank you so much for having, it was a blast. Yeah, no problem. This might just become a spinoff podcast this was a lot of fun um but uh and frank as always thanks so much man i appreciate uh, you going full sjw with me and uh, oh man and doing this the was this is a great one i could literally talk about this all day and but you know i think an hour is a good place to stop <laughs> an hour is a good place to stop <laughs> although we could go like old school twitch uh podcast and just get 12 people on screen and go for like six hours and have fun so that's oh my gosh that's quality content all right, guys. Well, thanks so much for joining us again. Uh, to everyone who's listening out there, thanks for tuning into the special episode. Uh, this was a fun one. Uh, as always, though, we do take listener questions. Uh, send them in to us. You can hit me up on Twitter at Kevin Aki. You can also find us uh, esportsconnect at recglobal.com. But we will catch you next week with a regular episode. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll see you later. Mm-hmm.